Hello, and welcome to the Hockey Assist, a basketball podcast. We have conversations that give basketball fans deeper perspective on the game by connecting what's happening on the court to the sport at large. My name is Nolan Cope, and here is my co-host, Riley Gaucher. What's up, Mr. Cope? How are you this week? You know, just uh, another week in the life, another day in the life, uh... You're you're rocking a, a beautiful new haircut today. You look you look quite good, sir. Thank you, thank you very much. It was uh, my first experience doing doing the self haircut, and it, it took me about an hour and a half, but could have gone a lot worse. So I'm I'm feeling okay about it. It looks pretty close. Was that close close to the head? Was that what you were shooting for at the beginning? Well, uh, the sides, yes. The top, not so much. I have learned that I do not know how to use scissors when when cutting the hair on the top of my head and, and getting it styled in a, in a way that I wanted because when I started to take the scissors and uh, do some trimming up there, it, it started to look like I uh, was a four-year-old and had just uh, discovered scissors. Um, so yeah, I, I ended up having to you know cover that up by basically shaving more off than I wanted, but I will, I will gladly take this and, and still having hair in my head as opposed to, you know, some of the alternative stuff. Now, did you have salon scissors or were you going at it with just really sharp, oh. normal scissors? No, they were uh, fully normal scissors. Um, oh, I Riley. Own, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, that was probably a big part of my problem. Um, so yeah, I, I also have learned that I do not know how to cut a straight line. Um, not to say that that's the key to a good haircut, but it, it definitely makes things harder. So, yeah, I was I was playing from behind. Let's say it but, sounds uh, like it. Well, I'm glad time that you was were, had. I'm glad that you were able to recover. That your hair looks a, as good as it does today. And uh, ne- you, before next time, maybe invest in. Uh, some salon scissors, some, some hair scissors. And for sounds, all you, sounds like a good idea for all you listeners out there. You can go ahead and send, uh, self hair manicuring tips, uh, to, uh, our, our Twitter account or send it to us personally. <laughs> if, if you know us and while you're at it, go ahead and like this episode, subscribe to our show if you have not done so already on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and as always you our listeners can help us expand the listener base here at the hockey assist if after an episode you uh, enjoyed what you heard please go ahead and send this episode to someone you know who you think might like it we always appreciate getting those new audience members and getting to share our ideas with other people. There's been well, a lot well, of, well said. Thank you. There's been a lot of good basketball happening out there, Riley, a lot of crazy stuff happening in the basketball world. It's we're excited. Derby. Yeah. We're excited to talk about a lot of those things today. 
we're gonna we're gonna start yeah, off uh... with our shoot around. There was there was someone who I texted you early this week, Riley, to to catch some games and to watch their influence on their team. And that person was Steven Silas, the head coach of the Houston Rockets. I texted you uh, uh, early this week to make sure to catch some games of theirs. He's long been considered one of the best offensive minded coaches in the game. And I hadn't heard all that much about him come coming into this season, but watching Rockets games now are a whole lot different than we have grown accustomed to from the Hawkins Rockets of the past few years from the James Harden era. Riley, you watched some Rockets games. What were some things you noticed? I did. I did. Um, to me, the, the biggest takeaway was, you know, the, the, the decentralization of that offense, right? Like, obviously, no one on that team is anywhere in the same stratosphere in terms of, you know, ability as James Harden, as much as I, I enjoy John Wall and I, I think fondly of Boogie Cousins and his one year in the Bay Area. Um, neither of those guys are, you know, initiators and creators and, and have the ability to completely control a game in the way that Harden does. And so it seems like Silas has really responded by, you know, spreading out the touches, spreading out the actions, um, moving moving players in the ball around a hell of a lot more than in uh, the D'Antoni Harden ball that we've seen recently. Um, the thing that, that stood out to me the most was just how often they were doing five out and not even running necessarily pick and rolls. Um, you know, they had Boogie standing out beyond the three-point line as a, as a spacer and trying to get uh, the collection of wings, whether it would be Eric Gordon, David Nwaba, shout out the former Cal Poly graduate, or uh, sorry, at least the former Cal Poly basketball player. Um, and so they have, they have all these guys who are decent enough, you know, at, at taking their man one-on-one and getting to the paint and, and driving and kicking and whatnot. And so there was just a lot of that going on and a lot of, of clever passing from non uh, non stars right or non non uh, non lead ball handlers so it was it was really fun to watch and a nice change of pace what did what is your take kind of ben uh, since this was your your observation and your your insight yeah it it was it was so fun for me to to watch some games from Houston this week and obviously uh, going off a point you were making about the the five out the reality of the roster that Silas inherited is it's a lot of wings, right? The Rockets famously got rid of all of their centers last year. And uh, so that, that was the roster, the roster that he inherited, the roster that he came to here in Houston and then losing one James Harden let lost what tied that previous offense together. And so what he, what he's done with all those pieces is, it doesn't look all that dissimilar from the Rockets of, of years past at first glance because it's five dudes standing outside of the three-point line a lot of the time until you start watching some of the movement that these players have and, and some of the cuts that they have. And you can tell that they have spent a lot of time in the gym working on the spots they need to go, getting all those different players involved. What, like you said, from John Wall to Christian Wood to... Jay Sean Tate and David Nwaba, right? And watching the variety of these guys score points, it wasn't like 
Danielle House, Danwell House was going off for 25 points, but once or twice uh, a quarter, he would make a nice cut from the baseline to the elbow down in and the pass would find him on the outside. And I was blown away by the amount of open looks. These guys seem to be getting near the hoop. It didn't take a James Harden level amount of skill to get them open looks. And they don't have anyone on their team with the passing prowess of Jokic or LeBron, but Silas was just making the game so much easier for his guys. And They don't have one of the most talented rosters in the league. This is true, but it would have been really cool to watch James Harden buy in to this and watch because seeing what he's doing over there in Brooklyn, where he's averaging 13 assists a game and getting everyone involved, like him in this system could have been so amazing to watch. Totally. And I don't mean to like contradict you because you're right. Nobody on their team is as good of a passer as Jokic or LeBron. But, but the one thing that actually did stand out to me, you know, is John Wall is a damn good passer. And he always has been, you know, maybe not savant levels, but he, he you know, he's averaged, I, I believe, upwards of 10 assists in previous seasons. Like he's, he's a really good passer, really good playmaker. And Boogie Cousins also has a willingness to, to be a facilitator, to make things happen for others. And so I thought it was cool to see both of those guys playing unselfishly, but also playing in a, in a style that didn't necessarily meant the ball sticks because, like you said, with James Harden um, diming everybody up, that doesn't always translate into completely unselfish basketball, right? Like there's, there's a, to me, there's a subtle difference between, you know, just being able to make the right play and making a quick play versus, you know, kind of the same way that Trey Young plays, wanting to have the ball in your hands and playing for the assist more than anything. And it was, it was a breath of fresh air to see those two guys who I think are, are very talented uh, in terms of vision and, and ability to make passes happen. Um, just doing that, you know, and not not looking for their own shot as much as making the entire offensive system work. Yeah, you're absolutely right. John Wall is a multi-time all-star, made the all-NBA team one year, and the dude's got skills. And guys on this team have skills, and they still have P.J. Tucker and Eric Gordon out doing things that only they can do. And... I, I was just impressed by Steven Silas. And I hope that the Rockets are able to turn a lot of these draft picks that they got over these last few years into, uh, into some productive players and allow Christian Wood to continue to develop. And I hope that Silas just see, I think, I think he's one of those better coaches in the league. I think he's one of those guys who has like a sneaky level, Nick nurse. And a lot of media members have, have said that, They've been waiting a long time for him to get a coaching job, and it was uh, really unfortunate that he finally did and was thrown into the James Harden exodus. But the dude, the dude is a good coach and seems to get a lot of players in, from a lot of different walks of life in the league to all commit to his style of play. And even though it's not necessarily translating to a tons of wins in the win column, it's the basis of, of something special. Totally. Well, and uh, the James Harden situation, as, as you put it, um, is actually something I think we're going to touch on a little bit later. So that's a teaser for everybody out there. Um, but the, that was the other thing that I noticed when you mentioned kind of everybody from walks of life. I thought it was actually really cool that this team has got a ton of people who have had pretty brutal injuries. Um, both Boogie and David Wamba have torn Achilles. John Wall had torn Achilles. Some ACLs in there too. Um, and then, you know, Victor Oladipo and... Uh, Christian Wood weren't playing in the games that I watched, but those are two guys who are also struggling with injury right now. And it was just, it was 
like nice for me as just a fan and like you know wanting people to to succeed right just to see these guys who've had gone through a lot of injury adversity being out there making winning plays defending the, the hell out of the ball and and I believe I could be mistaken but I believe that the Rockets have had a better record since the Nets uh sorry um better record than the Nets since James Harden was traded over there so as much as you were right, you know, it's not going to maybe take this roster isn't going to take them to the promised land. They are actually, I think, getting wins in the win column at the present moment. Yeah. And th- this cutting, th- this off ball movement that they, that they have that leads to easy baskets, it really might be a trend here in the NBA that it's not three pointers leading to all sorts of fun success, but maybe it is some some of these uh, cuts, off ball movement, and a new type of player, Riley. What what do you think about what do you think about that? Sure. Um, so yeah, here was another. That's a that's a great segue. Thank you. Um, to kind of another thing that I watched and, and noticed this week, and that was just um, the kind of renaissance of the power forward. You know, there's been a lot of talk uh, about power forward size players and players who, you know, played traditionally the, the, the stereotype of the four position kind of being phased out of the league, right? You know, we talk about, oh, small ball and the Warriors death lineup killed centers. But I think the, the real truth behind that has always been that it, it actually killed power forwards, right? Because power forwards just became, you know, anybody who couldn't really guard threes, but, you know, wasn't quite big enough to guard fives. And so it was, it was, you know, it was where you tried to get an extra suitor on the floor and it was someone who didn't have a ton of responsibilities and they, they, the positional kind of definition around that role really kind of started to shrink the last couple of years. But in this last week, there's just been some sensational kind of uh, performances by people who are, you know, power forward or, or center sized. And this ties into the cutting because the common thread through all these guys that I noticed was the passing. Um, I'm specifically talking about Julius Randle. I watched a Knicks game or the highlights of a Knicks game this week, and he is transforming himself into like a do-all lead ball handler. You know, maybe not one that's going to, you know, create title equity, but it's working for the Knicks right now. And uh, it's just really cool. I think that Tom Thibodeau trusts him to to be the primary playmaker. And he, he's got a good handle. He's got really good vision. And uh, it, it reminds me of, uh, you know, a poor man's Draymond Green, per se, who has been absolutely on fire in terms of an assist um, streak the last couple, last week or so since the Warriors lost all of their centers to injury. He's been starting at the five, even if he is nominally a power forward and uh, averaging like over 10 or 11 assists in the streak of multiple games of 15, 16 assists. And all of that is made possible by the cutting that you were mentioning. You know, the Warriors system is heavily based on cutting, but I think this is, to me, is like a truth that, that is not recent. It's not a, you know, a new thing. It's been kind of the, the ingrained in the DNA of the sport all the way back to Namesmith, right? Is that cuts are, are the best way to break up stagnation, to, you know, force decisions on the part of the defense. And if you are able to successfully cut and, and get to the basket, those looks have a, a super high, you know, percentage of going in um, because like you mentioned, right, they, they're able to generate easy options and, and easy opportunities. And so I think it's just cool to see uh, a couple of guys that, you know, Jokic is a center, obviously, but he's been doing this 
and and the uh, Denver offense is entirely based on just a million people starting the cut. And I think that's the style of basketball that I like watching. So I'm, I'm just really glad to see it happening. And I, I think it's good for the sport because it, it promotes intelligence. It promotes, you know, democracy in terms of who gets to take shots. And, and it also just means that there's more going on and, and more to analyze and more to learn from. You make a ton of excellent points. And a lot of these power forward sizes, these power forward types are finding success not only on the offensive uh, side of the court, but on the defensive side as well. You and I are both big believers that defense matters. You know, this is not just an offensive league. And I'd like to bring up a point made by our good friend and Kings fan, Vance Gregg, who uh, sent a message to the Hockey Assist Twitter account this week. Again, we love the Twitter fan interaction. And Vance mentioned how in uh, because we we were talking last week about shooting, right? And this this new style of uh, how offense is played in the NBA, but how and so he was saying how defense also was hurting the traditional big man, right? And so a lot of guys like most most recently in uh, the 2000s with Shaq and whatnot, but in all the decades before with all the other all-star centers there are these big dudes with big bodies that vance was saying like 77 foot two or something like that who their job was to lumber around the post on offense and lumber around the post on defense and vance's point was now these these bigs we we don't necessarily want to call them centers we want to call them bigs these guys like julius randall who you're mentioned bent mentioning or closer to 610 and 240 and they're finding success not just with that playmaking that you were mentioning on the on the offensive side, Riley, but also by being able to play defense, switchable defense, guard guard five positions, switch switch from the smaller guards to the wings to the bigger uh, centers and whatnot. And so these guys like like Julius Randle, who were supposedly like you said killed by the Warriors, whatnot. They've got a niche. They can get back here if they if they're able to to hustle around on defense and cover all those positions because that can be just yeah. as valuable as that offensive vision that they have. Totally, I think I think the prototypical guy that you're kind of describing is Thaddeus Young, who for years was just a key to making the Pacers, um, you know, in the post Hibbert era, right? Like making them a really solid defensive team and one that's very underrated. Um, and, you know, I think this, this, all of this conversation is starting to sound like something that we really could have tied into last week's episode on the state of the league. Um, and I, one of the, like, kind of the points along those lines that I have thought about a lot too, is this idea that there's just, there's less room for, for guys who can't carry their weight on either end, right? Like if you, if you can't shoot and you're a plotting big man, you're not going to play, right? Because you, you have to do something on offense and the same goes on defense, right? Like if, if you're uh, Michael Porter Jr. and you have just a sensational offensive talent, but you're still learning how to play defense and you're not willing to put in the work or willing to, or I guess able even, you know, able to read a lot of actions to, to understand switching, to know where you're supposed to be, you're not going to get as much playing time. And that's been like a, I think a struggle for Nuggets fans is, you know, they want to see their, their star young player out on the court, but Michael Malone is, is really like trying to win games. And, I think just the, the trends in the league are that people are realizing that 
you know, if another team has a weakness or another player has a weakness, whether it's, you know, the size of an Isaiah Thomas or, or Kemba Walker, or it's the, the slow footedness of uh, Rudy Gobert, if you try and pull him out on the perimeter, right? Like somebody has to be able to cover up and, and contribute in a lot of other ways, or they're going to get run off the floor. And so I think that's what the most exciting thing about the, the current trends in the NBA to me, right? Is that we're, we're cutting the fat, so to speak, you know, like players are having to become more and more and more well-rounded. And I, I think that just makes the game better and it makes it more exciting to watch because it raises the skill level and it, it means teams are, are starting to realize that like you need to be able to compete at least in, in all facets of the game. Yeah. Uh, another guy who popped into my mind as, as you were saying those things was Jabari Parker, right? Who just mm, a few years yeah. ago very famously said, yeah, I play to my strengths. You look around the NBA and they don't pay players to play defense. Right. And I good, like good for him for like playing for his strengths and whatnot, but he's not cracking the rotation for the Sacramento Kings. Right. <laughs> so, yep. and even though uh, Mr. Parker has averaged, like I just pulled, pulled him up on, on basketball reference in his career, he's averaged 15 points a game. But because he's not able to and not willing to uh, run around on the defensive end, that's hindered his ability to play for teams who are trying to win, you know, and the Sacramento Kings are trying to win. He's not even in their rotation. So totally. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't have any, uh, actually there's one, there's one more kind of piece to that. And that kind of goes to the, the changing in the power forward position and it's we're seeing DeMar DeRozan play a little bit of four this year which I think is just a you know a fascinating uh, extra dimension to this right it's like guards who can't really shoot Russell Westbrook DeMar DeRozan um, at least from the outside right those guys are the league is starting to realize like that's untenable to have them as one of your two guards because you know with with the pace increasing with the number of three-pointers increasing that's that's a disadvantage if you're if you're playing with that guy at a guard position which, you know, all of the teams are going to have people who can shoot there. And so I think it's been really fascinating, you know, to see uh, a year ago in, in uh, Houston when uh, Gerald Morey said, you know, the best way for us to win is grab all these wings and, you know, basically let uh, Russell be the, uh, the center on offense, right? Like that's, that's his position and be surrounded by spacing. And that's, that's the same thing that's happening in San Antonio. It's really helped that LaMarcus Aldridge shoots threes now. Um, you know, he's always been a really good shooter and he's finally learning to step behind the three-point line. But I think it's, that's just another kind of change that we're going to see. And I'm not sure if we're going to get that many more, you know, defensive burst, um, like point guards, you know, right. Who really can't stretch the floor and, and actively hinder their, their teams on offense, because those guys are either going to play weirdly out of position at power forward, or they're just not going to, not going to make it in this league anymore. Yeah. Very well said. Riley, let's let's transition into the minutia minutes here. You, totally, you, you, totally. You got, you got have... a few things for us today, so that's why I'm leaving it at minutes. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I'll put a let's say two minutes on the clock today. I, I have a lot of things, and I'll try to run through them quickly. Um, but I, I I did get to watch a little bit more basketball this week, and and watching today Denver and Boston. Uh, one thing I noticed and stood out to me was Brian Scalabrini. Uh, white mamba as he is affectionately known love um, it is the 
the color commenter for Boston. And I, I thought he was doing a pretty good job. Uh, you know, he gets, he gets clowned a lot, but I thought he did a decent job of breaking things down. And so it, I, th- I was a welcome change for me, you know, not to speak ill of the dead, but of uh, the late Tommy Heinsohn was a very Homer kind of, you know, very Boston centric position. And so it was really cool to hear both of the, the, the color commenter and the, the play-by-play guy in Boston really going overboard to praise Jokic and just be in awe of his skill and, and whatnot. The one thing I do have to say, and I, um, actually, if we can take a time out and get your take on this, Nolan, I'd love to hear it, is that he he referred to the team as we or our all, all the time, right? It was like, we need to improve our offense. We, uh, our, our, our rebounding has to get better. You know, our, our defense isn't looking good. And that is something that just has like irked me about any sport forever, for a long time. And I don't know if this is just a weird personal quirk, but I think it's it's strange for especially fans, but even even a commenter who's not on the floor you know like they might be employed with the team but they're not really a part of the team to talk about it like that and I guess Scalabrini is a little bit of a different situation because he's a fan favorite there and then played for Boston but it just it rubbed me the wrong way I don't know what do you think it's a great question and I think it's a problem that really uh entered NBA discourse at around the same time as r slash nba streams right these the, these uh places on the internet for illegal streaming of basketball games because for a guy like you and me out here in california getting a lakers game is no problem getting a, war- a warriors game is no problem but other than that we're at the mercy of the national broadcasts and if you're for me like if you're a boston affiliate news like like program covering your team and your audience is Boston fans, then you it like be a homer, you know, like 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 go for it a little bit. I I think that that's that's kind of their job is to get the Boston area fans excited about sure, watching sure. Boston basketball. Now I will say that. There is a middle ground between being a totally uh, neutral color commentator and being a Tommy Heinsohn, so to speak. Like, there's a middle ground there. there there's got to be. We know that there is. Because you don't need, like, for me, it's about appreciating the game that's happening in front of you. It's what drives me crazy about Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson. You know, so if the color <laughs> commentator is a homer, Oh, don't get me started. Yeah. If the color commentator is a homer and also can appreciate when Nikola Jokic comes to town and watch the the big guy do things that no one ever sees anyone before doing, or if Dame comes to town and takes over in the fourth quarter, like obviously you want your team to win and it's okay to t- for me to talk about like we and us, but you got to mm. be able to appreciate the other team as well. And if you're unable to do that, that's totally, when it becomes totally. a problem. Sure. That's and my I, two cents. Yeah, I think I, I, I really appreciate that take. Um, you know, I, again, I like, I didn't think that he was too bad of a homer. It was, it was actually a nice change. It was one of the best Boston telecasts I watched in a while. It's just, it, it's like my personal grudge that I, I cannot stand when people who are not on the team say we, because I, I don't understand how you're able to make that connection. You know, it's like fans, it's like, oh, we need to draft this. I, I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way. I guess it comes off to me as like a little bit of sense of entitlement, especially from fans, right? When you say, 
oh, we didn't play well. It's like, no, no, your team didn't play well. They didn't play well. You were not on the court. Um, but maybe that that's a that's a matter for another day. That's that's one of my little tiny rants. Um, yeah, it might it might be slightly thing, different for someone like Tommy Heinsohn or Brian Scalabrini who uh, were players, yeah. you know, and played for those teams, and especially like Tommy Heinsohn who was a lifetime Celtics player. Like unwriting that DNA might be next to impossible, but yeah, someday, someday sure, we'll sure. talk about, we'll talk about those fans who, who like to use the, the, we and the S. So I, I don't, I don't begrudge people who, you know, like I, I, we care about sports because we're invested and because we, we get, you know, um, Oh, what's it called when you, uh, vicarious, you know, we get vicarious joy and anguish. And like, that's, that's the reason we, we are fan that like fan of is about. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's a grammatical thing that I'm probably being unreasonable about moving on. Um, just one, a couple other things that I've, that I've noticed this week. And this is something that's, that's confused me for a very long time. And, and, uh, I, I wish would, would change is that the, the score bug, right. And like the, the bottom part of a screen nowhere in, in any form of basketball, do I think, does it list the fouls to give on a regular basis? And that is a, like information that I would would love to have, you know, permanently, not just like, oh, now they're in the bonus, right? I, as somebody who who took a very long time to understand what the bonus was and like how, right, like, uh, you know, the penalty situation in basketball works, I, I think it's almost to me more, more informative than how many timeouts are left, especially, you know, for the first 20, 30 minutes of a game when timeouts really like it does not matter until the last, you know, very ending possessions in the fourth quarter. I wish I could tell, you know, like for each quarter, right? Like how many fouls they've, they've had as a team and how many fouls are left to give, because I think it would make my, me as a, you know, a basketball observer that much more informed. And I don't know. What do you think? You you're absolutely right. I think it, it it's something that's probably been avoided to avoid clutter for the casual fan, for the fan totally, who doesn't totally. quite understand that, that the bonus. Is. But if there was a way to include it for fans who get it, that would be awesome. I was reading an article earlier today by Zach Cram of The Ringer about DeAndre Ayton and why it's a problem that he doesn't ever shoot free throws. And... He made some great points about the value of drawing fouls in the NBA, not just shooting fouls, but other fouls. He was talking about, uh, they, of course, they, they force opponents into foul trouble, but you, a, a foul two minutes into the second quarter has different meaning for you if you know, oh, that's the first foul of the second quarter. Oh, this team's already at three fouls. They're going to get to the bonus quickly. That was an important foul. So it gives us, the fans, something to engage with a little bit more on that front of being like, oh, that foul has more value or less value to this team. And getting to those free throws, getting to that bonus earlier helps give you the opportunity for more points. And it also helps team defense on the ensuing position possession. Because if you get to the bonus earlier, you're taking more of those shots and the other team will be coming back at a set defense all the time. So those are some points that Zach Cram was making earlier that I think I had not thought of all that much before. And you're absolutely right. If that gets included in the broadcast more, I think that could make uh, the everyday basketball fan. Like, I, I think that could improve the experience a lot. 
Totally. You know, I, I am, as, as a, somebody who's basically studied design for the last six years, I am I'm fully an advocate for, for simplicity, for clarity, you know, for, for decluttering and, you know, effective graphic communication. Um, but I think this is a question of where like the, the, the trade-off of like us having less information and then the broadcasters have to spend so much of their time every time somebody on oh, that's the fourth foul. Oh, they've got one more to the button. You know, that's just a, it's a, it's a constant when you watch a lot of basketball. And I think if, if some of that energy could be saved and, and, you know, spent on even more informative stuff or even more novel things that I can't figure out myself by just counting. Um, I think, I think displaying that would really be a good, a good change. League. Um, so I have, I have a lot more for the minutia minute, but we've blown the segment out of the water in terms of what it's supposed to be. So the, the last, just, just one sentence thing I want to mention is that I love Walt Clyde Frazier and I am so happy that he is still around the league and broadcasting and deploying his uh, massive and, and illustrious vocabulary. Uh, hearing him refer to Obi Toppin as the neophyte or Emmanuel quickly as a neophyte in the, in the clips that I watch, just, it brings me so much joy. So shout out to him, shout out to the, uh, the Knicks broadcast. And, and I, I hope that he remains in his current position for a long, long time to come. We should absolutely bring the, the precocious neophytes into, into our podcast a little bit at some, somewhere a little bit down the line here. Totally. But, um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, with that being said, I think it's time for us to transition into the, the big question of the day. Are you ready, sir? Yes, Riley, I am ready to get going. I'm really excited about our topic of the episode today, our big question of the episode today. One of the players uh, in the NBA who is inarguably one of the most talented scorers who people have been feeling really sorry for a lot over the last few years has been one Bradley Beal. The dude has been playing at an all-star level and scoring ridiculous amounts over the past few seasons in a totally futile effort for the last place or near last place Washington Wizards who aren't even in contention for the newly expanded play-in game tournament this year now you and i were texting a bit and we were talking a little bit about the hashtag free beal movement or after every game where he drops 40 and the team loses by 10 everyone on the internet likes to say we got to get this guy out of here now even though he is saying that he's committed to playing to with the wizards long term we we were wondering like should people feel sorry for him in the way that they do or is it his duty to play out his contract is he committed to this and again like we're we're going big picture here like we always like to do on this podcast the nba as we've talked about is a business Right. And Bradley Beal is a part of that business and he signed a contract. So, sh- do we feel sorry for him? Should we feel sorry for him? Or should we just spend our time acknowledging, hey, he signed this contract and he's going to be here long term and we can explore those options come free agency again? 
you know? And while totally. we were texting, you know, I, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, you know, I just want to, I want to jump in there a little quick. Um, so I think I, it was really fascinating. I'm, I'm a, an avid lurker on r slash MBA as previously mentioned. And that's where I saw this conversation really shift because, you know, for like, it was exactly as you described, right. He would, he would put up a valiant effort and the team was just not very good. Um, especially earlier in the season with, you know, Russell Westbrook playing very, very poorly and Davis Bertans um, having some issues with his shot um, that was detailed in a really, really interesting article by, I believe, Fred Katz at The Athletic. Um, and so there was there was this conversation, you know, it's free beal, right? Is everyone feeling really bad for a guy who's apparently giving it as much as he possibly can and the team's still not not a, being able to capitalize. And then there was this, this change on Reddit where people went, hey, wait a minute, he was a free agent. He was a free agent he chose he chose, he actively chose to come to this team, sorry, stay with this team, resign to this situation with the, the players that were there, you know, like whether it was John Wall or Russell Westbrook, I think it's probably a wash. I, you know, you could say, look at the trade value, right? There was, there was not a huge difference in terms of compensation in that trade, mostly because of John Wall's Achilles. Um, and so he, he knew what he was getting into. That was the, the counterfactual. That was the, the counter argument. So there was some chastising going from, you know, how dare you feel sorry for him? It's not like he was trapped here. He's not like a Kevin Garnett in in Minnesota or Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota. If you want to, you know, uh, pile on to anyone a, a who's ever Nick played in, for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Minnesota Timberwolves, exactly right. Or uh, yeah, it's so. I mean, I think that was that was a really interesting thing for me to observe because I had totally been on hashtag free Beal, and then I went, oh, you know, wait, they they kind of have a point. Um, and so I, I, that conversation has been a little bit muted like you mentioned with him, you know, being so adamant and committing and, you know, not being a, uh, a, a sourpuss. Um, and as much as there were a couple of games where he really, you know, didn't uh, seem like he wanted to be there, you know, he's been public and, and committed to that organization. But I, I think it does really beg the broader question, right? It's like, where do we draw the line and, and where do we say that, you know, loyalty is important and loyalty should be valued and, it's a, it's a bad look if you're not loyal. Adding fuel to this fire, to this conversation that Riley and I are having. And when I say adding fuel, I mean absolutely just like filling a whole barrel of oil and dropping a lit match into it and walking away as it exploded was Draymond Green. And we were wanting to talk about the free Beal movement coming into this episode and after Draymond's uh, press uh, conference after the Warriors game last night, we knew we could not go any other way besides this conversation. To summarize, for those of you who have not yet heard about uh, Draymond's little uh, tirade against the NBA last night, first of all, go check it out. It is some wonderful wordsmithing and very compelling. It's three minutes. You can find it on YouTube, I'm sure, all over the internet. But basically, Draymond sat down at his press conference last night. In three minutes discussed the double standard that is held for players who publicly request a trade and teams who publicly announce they are sitting players and looking for a trade. Draymond's argument is that the players who request a trade, like James Harden, who he uh, discussed at length, uh, 
Those players are ridiculed and abused. The word that Draymond used was castrated for their choice. Like, how dare they want to leave? How dare they do this? And the media pressure from all over the league is so intense, right? Not even just on the league from random schmucks on the internet like you and I and other people like that. And while that happens to players like James Harden, who requested trade or Anthony Davis before him, on the other side, every year around the trade deadline, teams start publicly shopping players, sometimes even sitting players, preventing them from playing the game that they love and put their body on the line for, saying, we're doing this because we want to get rid of you. Right, and Draymond was saying, when that happens, players need to remain professional. If they don't go along with it, their whole career could be on the line. It was a really, really compelling three minutes. Riley, what were your thoughts after uh, you watched the video for the first time and after you had some time to, to digest it a bit as well? Sure, sure. Um, I mean, first, first, obviously, he's like, Draymond is very good at this. Um, it, it did seem a little bit premeditated. Um, and I just think that's, that's really funny almost to me, but it, you know, like he, he knows what he's doing and he's very, very good at it. So props to him. Um, but more, more like, you know, Jermaine to the, the question at hand is, uh, I, I think that one of the, the core tenets of his, his point was that organizations never get held accountable. This kind of, um, ties back to some criticism he's had for the Suns earlier this year, especially, uh, with the way that Marquise Chris has had a career revitalization in Golden State, and and you know with the change of role started to play like a guy who is finally starting to be able to leverage his potential and his his gifts, and and you know uh, the stability has done him well. And so Draymond was critical of that, and so he he started you know I'm very much in the same vein in this rant to be like you know why why are organizations never held accountable? And so as much as I like I I understand his argument for the double standard and I I agree that in some cases it it is problematic I think like first off for him to say that organizations never get criticism is just a, you know it's like forgetting about uh, uh the Sacramento Kings or the New York Knicks right like these teams that have become punching bags and the butt of butt of jokes even even from people as professional as Zach Lowe right like he he has nicknamed the Knicks the kazoos because you know for someone who's incredibly patient and, and willing to see the you know the bigger picture and a lot of stuff he just cannot deal with the incompetence that exists in new york um and so i think it's not entirely true to say that organizations don't get credit um i think to me what this really kind of all ties back to is, you know, the idea of labor and capital or labor um, and management um, more accurately. And that's like a really uh, unique thing about sports is that as, as the general population as fans, you know, if we were all to listen to Karl Marx, right, we would, we would tie our lot with the players because, you know, they are in, in that ecosystem, they are much more representative of us. They are, the ones on the court, they are, are, you know, they are the ones that are giving us, you know, the, the wins and the losses and the joy and the moments that, that we get to celebrate and cheer and making us feel good and, and everything they are, as we've talked a lot about on the show, they are the reason that the league makes money. And yet, and yet that being said, fans have 
infinitely stronger ties, maybe, maybe not so much in the NBA, but in most sports, infinitely stronger ties to the name on the front of the jersey, to the colors, to the, the team, to the history, right? Like it's, you root for your local team. You don't root for an individual player. And so I think that kind of weird dichotomy is where a lot of this starts, because if you just, if you just think about this in terms of, you know, politics and, and class and, and whatnot, it would make sense that we should say, yeah, screw the man, right? Like screw the bosses for this double standard. And yet it's in the best interest of everyone who's a, a fan of a local team, maybe not so much you, but definitely me, right? We want our, our teams to, to operate as, you know, businesslike and as, as ruthless as they can be, because it's going to mean happier moments for us. And so I think, I, I think that's something that, you know, Draymond, I'm sure he would be aware of, but he didn't really acknowledge in that fact. And I'm not here to argue whether that's a good or a bad thing, but I think that's just a really interesting kind of counter counterside to the point that he brings up. That is an incredibly interesting perspective, Riley. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm, it, it seems like you, you have uh, some reservations with what Draymond had to say, whereas I feel a lot more, enthusiastic about what Draymond had to say. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to totally. put, put, push back in a few different ways and see, see Go for the it. responses to that is because uh, for me, this is the, what Draymond had to say is the crucial element of player empowerment. Okay. The player empowerment era and the player empowerment ideology, because the definition of player empowerment colloquially, colloquially, or the definition of player empowerment in everyday language is oftentimes that p- the player empowerment era is essentially allowing players to quit on their teams, whine and sulk until they get traded to where they want to go. And that is what a lot of people have in their minds when they think of player empowerment. But a lot of those people are not stopping to ask why those players want to leave their organization in the first place. So for me, the reason that I believe in the player empowerment era is because, like Draymond said, the players need to be treated with the same respect that the teams have. And I think that's kind of what Draymond was getting at, is that he wanted a guy like Andre Drummond to get the same amount of respect that these different organizations do. Now, obviously, with, with the Kings and with the, the Knicks, those organizations may not get a lot of respect, but those organizations, nonetheless, they're an organization. They're not a person, right? And so one, the, the, the thing that you cited, one common retort that the players are the product that the business of the NBA makes money off of, which, as we've discussed, is true. But for me, using that argument that the players are a product in a business, using that argument to prop up the double standard of respecting players versus respecting teams, this imbalance of power in between the businesses, the teams, and the product, the players, is inherently flawed. Because in the case of professional sports, the products are people. They're human beings with feelings and rights and liberties. And you mentioned Karl Marx, and Karl Marx was all about 
the people having control of the goods and services. And in this case, the goods and services are people, right? So for me, what Draymond is asking for is he's asking for guys like James Harden, guys like Anthony Davis trying to get out of uh, New Orleans, right? Those are guys. Those are people. And they do deserve a certain level of respect that the teams don't get from the media. The teams don't always get in those ways. And like, it's, it's, it's more love, more of a person thing to where like you could criticize James Dolan and you can criticize the Knicks and they're kind of the same thing. But if you criticize James Harden, it's just James Harden. What do you, what what are your thoughts? That's that's totally fair. Um, You know, I really don't like want to come off as, as callous as I think my last argument did, but to me, it, the, the, the main question here, right, is like, they still sign the contracts, right? And there's right. no, you know, this is, this is a, it's a, there are like limits on, right, the freedom in this market, in this marketplace. And yet, you know, like if, if guys wanted to do the LeBron James thing, right, of to, to wield power and, have signed a, a bunch of consecutive one-year deals, right? Like that is totally within their purview, you know? And in that case, I would not fault someone for leaving after one season. I, I would not, right? And so I, I think it's a, it's a great point that we need to have a little bit more empathy and we need to to think about their play. And that was a big part of Draymond's point, like the, the mental strain of of dealing with the, the uh, the kind of the backlash, you know, that, that comes from all sides. Um, I, so I think to me though, it's, it's it, the kind of the hard part about it is as much as there's like a need to, you know, give these guys more respect. I, you know, I fully agree with that. It's hard to make that argument to the, the general fan, right? Because the general fan does not make millions of dollars to play a game for a living. And so as much as you know progress and, and this, the empower the player empowerment area i think has been a, generally a good thing for for the league in terms of you know being a better environment and and being just a, a better place to work at the end of the day i think it's hard sell sometimes to to people who you know don't have the same privileges that are afforded to these guys um and so i think that's the that's the line it's like you know like where where is it between, you know, somebody being just a little bit entitled versus somebody, you know, like having a real grudge of like, okay, this is my, this is my legacy. This is my, my career and you as an organization have failed me. And so I think that's, it also, it also like plays a part in, you know, how they behave, right? Like, I don't know if you remember Anthony Davis wearing the, that's all folks. I do. Yeah. When he was right. And so I understand Draymond's point of you know, asking people to be professional, but at the same time, that felt that felt really callous, right? Like that felt like he was taunting. You know, the Pelicans didn't have a ton of loyal fans, but who they did have were were incredibly loyal, right? The people who had had paid attention to career has shown up to playoff games, right? Like, and for I, to me, that almost ends up being like a beef more between the organization and how they've managed someone's career and whether they put them in places, uh, the right place for success. And so I think the unfortunate thing is that it ends up, it ends up 
involving a third party, the fans who really shouldn't be a part of that relationship, right? Like this should be something that is able to be worked out among professionals in, in a supposedly in a business relationship, you know? And I'm not saying that means that they just have to work it out and the guy should stay. Like, I, I think it was good for AD's career as much as I, I you know, mourn the fate of the Pelicans. They got very lucky to get Zion. Um, but as a small market team, right? Like him leaving could have fundamentally like, you know, changed their franchise forever. Um, I don't begrudge in that necessarily because their medical staff was terrible. They, they didn't do the things to earn his trust. And that's where I guess like the, the James Harden thing that Draymond mentioned and the Bradley Beal situation is a little bit different for me. You know, it's like, I don't think that those organizations, you know, maybe aside from Tillman Fertitta are, are fundamentally incompetent. You know, Ted Leonisis, the owner of the Wizards seems very committed to basketball you know, he, he left or Ernie Grenfeld managed the team for probably too long, but at the same time, like he spent money, they've, you know, they've drafted some interesting players in Davis Bertans. And so for me, it's, it's a question of like, maybe, maybe the player empowerment era, it's more about like how these things are talked about publicly and versus, you know, whether or not like the change, play, changing teams or asking out is, is really the question, because I think, you know, that or, or James Harden just, it was, it was frankly a little bit disrespectful. Like, Draymond even acknowledged the way that he's like, yeah, he was not trying hard or he was actively hurting his team's chances to win. And as much as yes, the players are the product, right? The, the money comes from fans. It comes from people who, you know, like dedicate their free time to this who invest, you know, emotional energy in this. And, and this business is not, it's not like you're, you're selling, you know, this one person to, or wanting at one person's services to like a big corporation, you're, you're selling the enjoyment and the entertainment to, to the masses, you know? And so I guess my take is a little bit, a little bit kind of uh, uh, cynical, but it's also right. It's like, I think there is some, some duty, especially when you're under contract, you know, and when you've committed there to, to at least acknowledge how it makes the fans feel, you know? Totally. Uh, you make a lot of really important points. And the one, the one that I really want to like focus in on as a branching off point for a lot of your other points is how it is discussed publicly, right? Because obviously you like for me and for you, like we want everyone to live by a high, high moral code. If everyone lived by a high moral code, the world would be a perfect place, right? And things like the military coup in Myanmar wouldn't happen. And things like James Harden dogging it in Houston also wouldn't happen, you know? And for me, like, the biggest difference, and and it it sounds like you, you agree with this to a certain degree as well, is, like, how it's discussed publicly, right? Because... In every business, every contract, there is an employer, there's the employee, and there's the third party who benefits from the employer and employee's work that they do together, right? Like, I got my teaching credential, I went out and got a job, and I signed a contract. And it should be my duty to fulfill the teaching contract that I signed, correct? And I should do that because my students will benefit from me being there, from me being a good teacher, you know? However, if the school that I signed my contract at 
this is not this is not a real real story. My school that I currently work at is wonderful. But if the school that I worked at fundamentally was failing me or ended up in a situation that I couldn't be in, I could quit and go find another job. That is an option available to me, right? And will there be people disappointed from my actions? Yes. But in the small scale, it's not ever really going to get talked about, maybe besides in a meeting one time with some of my bosses. Now, to bring this back to basketball, right, that same dynamic doesn't exist because NBA players cannot quit and because the situation is not working out for them. They cannot quit and go to another place, right? Because if James Harden quit, there are rules that the NBA says that no one could sign him and his only option would be to go over and play in China or to go play in Europe and Australia. Like there, there just isn't that it, it, the NBA is a monopoly of bat professional basketball in the United States and a monopoly in the world for someone with the talent of James Harden. Right. And so he doesn't have the, the same options that another working professional might, even though the working relationship that he and the management and the third party, the fans have is similar to what me, my principal and my students have, you know? And so I think what Draymond was maybe would have said if he was talking for 45 minutes instead of three minutes is that that is forgotten, you know? And, and like, sure. like I'll, I'll, I'll say that, that to you a little bit is where like there is the contract with the fans and whatnot, but the NBA's monopoly on high level professional basketball, especially in the United States is real. James Harden doesn't totally, have totally. options there. No, that's a great, that's a great point. Can I, can I like yeah, jump in real quickly? Jump in. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, as you were saying that I was, I was totally, totally on board. Um, and my, my kind of response is that it's a, it's a, it's a trade-off, right? So the way the trade-off to me works is like, you know, the government basically grants sports leagues in America, the right to be monopolies in return for having like an ecosystem that makes a ton of money, right? Like we could have an ABA, an NBA, some other, like a bunch of leagues and the talent could be spread around those if, if this was working, you know, in kind of the model that you're talking about, which is much more akin to the regular working person, right? And in that situation, I think there just would not be as much compensation, right? Like that's kind of the trade-off is that by, by having a monopoly, it allows the NBA to be, to be the, the financial giant, the billions and billion dollar, you know, entre enterprise that it is. And so maybe this is a question for you is like, do you think it would be better if there were multiple leagues and players had the ability to quit and say, I'm going to go sign with the ABA because this team is doing me wrong with the assumption that everyone's contracts, everyone's fame, you know, everyone's ability to leverage opportunities off the court right? Like, you know, being a star in the NBA in that monopoly, I think grants them certain privileges in terms of recognition and in terms of connection that might be diminished if there was competition uh, against the NBA, if there was other places that they could use in terms of leverage to say, okay, you're doing me dirty, I'm going to go quit. So do you think that that system would be, you know, more 
ethically responsible for these guys? And do you think it would be better? Or is, you know, it's saying like, you know, they get paid to, to millions and millions of dollars, right? Like, does that, does that balance it out? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I think, is it ethically superior for these guys if that position exists? Yes. Because their labor, they, they, they would have control of their labor in that sense. And now they have a lot, they only have control of their labor once a free agency cycle for themselves. Would it be better for the NBA? No. But obviously, if they have competition, would it be better for the product of on court basketball? No. Because if we see a, a proliferation of the best players to other leagues, then we're not going to see as high a level of basketball in one place. So as a pure NBA fan, that would be horrible. But in terms, in terms of the player empowerment, that would be a better option for player empowerment. Now, is it a necessary option? I don't think so. Because one of two things could happen to make it unnecessary. One, we have the status quo that the NBA has had for the entire existence of it up until the last few years, which is the players are the products of the teams, right? That's what, how Michael Jordan played. That's how Kobe played. That's how all the NBA greats have played up until the last few years is that there was no problem with, with it. Players accepted it. But now that players are leaning into player empowerment and now that players are uh, really sort of like going for it, in terms of saying, like, I do have control over my labor. I'm going to exert power over my labor, right? I think that's great, and I think that can have a place in the NBA. But it currently doesn't. And that was what Draymond was saying last night, in that the teams are still getting away with shit that the players are unable to get away with. Right? Yeah, and, and so... Uh, just to, to to finish that off a little bit, like if the players get that respect that Draymond was looking for, and I think Draymond was speaking to the league, but also to the fans and to the media. If all those forces are able to sort of unite around the idea that these players are people fighting for their best situation and their best self, then I think the NBA can continue along with the structure that it has. Totally. I, and so I think the question that I, that I, ask you then right is like do you think it's good for the league and would you like to see a place where no one has real team loyalty in terms of fans right like we root more for the players than we do even for our local teams because i think that's to me that's the end game of the situation you're talking about right is that like if that situation happens it, we get we get the situation where we like have lebron stand and we have kobe stand and we have steph fans and those guys are, are moving, you know, uh, around to, or, or at least leveraging the, the pressure that the, the value of their abilities, you know, generates to, to force their teams and their organizations to shape up. And if they don't, they leave. To me, like, I, I see the, the benefits of that and I see the value in that. And it's also such a fundamental change, I think, from what I've, you know, associated with the league, even if 
the NBA is much more player driven. It's much more likely that you have people who are fans of a single player or fans of players and don't have a, you know, I still think that they're a minority. It might be a vocal minority, but I still think they're a minority because it's, it takes, I think, a level of, of investment and a level of dedication to being a fan of a player, you know, more than to say, okay, I've, I've got this local team on my TV and I'm, I'm going to, you know, be involved in this ecosystem. Right. And so I guess for me, it's, it's, it's the the consideration that like the the situation that you're talking about I think fundamentally alters how the league operates and I don't know if I think that's a good thing. All right, let let me throw this at you then. I think that it totally depends on someone's preference as to whether they will decide to unite behind players or unite behind the city. Because uh, if we, as, as a lot of our listeners know, because we mention it a lot, and as a lot of our listeners know, because they are in the group text, we have a group text of a bunch of buddies where we just talk about basketball and other sports all the time, right? And in that group chat, we've got you, a Bay Area kid, and Vance, a Sacramento kid. And you're always going to be a Warriors fan, and Vance is always going to be a Kings fan. But also in that group chat, we've got Jake, who's been on this podcast before, from San Diego, who is somehow a Knicks fan. We have Nick Lampy, who is another kid from San Diego, who is somehow a Timberwolves fan, right? So I think that it's not necessarily binary where like some people like one team and some people like this team because of where they're from. I think there's sure. still tons of choice. And Jake made the decision to become a Knicks fan because he was given a Knicks hat one time, right? And mm-hmm. I could make the decision to become a diehard Pelicans fan because of how much I love Zion Williamson, right? Or I can just have that appreciation for Zion and I can have that appreciation for Steph and I can have that appreciation for Jason Tatum, right? And be able to bounce around a little bit. So I think I think that there is a little bit, there, there has always been a little bit of uh, ambiguity there. Sure. And whether it's people choosing to like teams from different parts of the country or choosing to like players, I think evolution is good because it can bring about a better reality and different can be hard to adjust to sometimes. No. And I I think, you know, I, I'm listening to myself and I'm realizing that I'm, I'm making a point that's, you know, very kind of, different from my beliefs about almost everything else. Um, but I think when it comes to sports, I, I'm very much a traditionalist. Like I don't want the national league in baseball to get the designated hitter. You know, I, I think local rivalries, um, were a huge part of growing up a, a giants fan, uh, being a dot, right. Like the, the rivalry, the Dodgers, like that was sometimes even stronger than your love for your own team. Right. It was, it was rooting against, the uniform of another team and having a rivalry with a city. And I guess for me, I, this is very anecdotal and very personal. Like, I just think that those kind of emotions that are generated surrounding that are, are more powerful than, you know, like an investment with a single person. Um, because I think that gets, it gets a little weird. Um, frankly, you know, to, to that's why we have the nickname like bronze sexuals or uh, Kobe stands or whatnot. All of that, all that being said, um, I, I, I do, I do really get where Draymond is coming from. You know, I think 
the especially in like the Andre Drummond situation, it's it sucks that that the team, you know, gets to look out for their best interests and he's not allowed to make a stink about it. And I think I don't know how to solve that because I think the only way to, you know, prevent that is to to tell the team not to act in their best interests. Right. Like it's it's to to say, okay, you should let the guy play because he wants to play. But that doesn't make business sense. That doesn't make not even like money sense. That doesn't make winning sense, right? Like it's gonna prevent you from leveraging this person, this contract that you've traded for, you know, to 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 use that, you know, to potentially win a championship down the road. And so I think I I, I hear you and I, I agree. Like we've got to think of them as players because, or sorry, as as people because, you know, there is a a culture of people harassing you know, players are uh, giving them a hard time, which has gotten even easier with social media. Um, and so I just, I guess I don't know how to do it, right? Like, I don't know how to to whip the the teams in line and, and, and force like, you know, a James Dolan out of the league, because I think that would be, that would prevent a lot of these problems, right? Like if ownership and competency was was the default among organizations, we wouldn't have any of this problem because nobody, people would want to leave to go someplace better. They wouldn't want to leave because where they are is so bad, right? Like James Harden wouldn't want to leave because Tillman Fertitta is cheap or, uh, you know, Bradley Beal wouldn't be sad because there just aren't enough good players around them. But I, I, I guess I don't see a reasonable way to like, you know, uphold the, the structure that exists right now. And like, if, if a, I guess it, to me, it all comes down to like, if a contract is meaningless because anyone can ask for a trade and leave anywhere, then what are we doing here? You know, it's like, why, why bother signing contracts? Everyone just join where they want to join. And that's kind of what it is. And I, if like, that's the system, I can work with that. I can, I can adjust to that. Um, but I don't, I don't see that part changing. And so for me, I guess the, the frustration is not knowing like where the line is too, because right, like uh, Chetty Osman, right on the Cavs can't can't demand a trade. He's not good enough, you know. Right. But but uh, but Bradley Beal could if he wanted, or James Harden can. And once again, that's yeah. How does that? How is that fair? Right. Like those are if we want to break this down in terms of you know the like the the haves and haves nots or, or the power of the people like the players association. A lot of the times when they do stuff that we as fans think is weird, it's because they're actually looking out for the interests of, of everyone. That's why we have a max contract, right? Is to limit the earning power of people who like a LeBron James or Steph Curry, who are really worth a hundred million dollars every season in terms of value, but it's about protecting the interests of all of these guys, right? Like who, who we think deserve to earn a little bit more than, than the veteran minimum. You know, we like, we think that there should be a, a gradation in NBA salaries um, and so I, I guess for me, it's like, you know, it just seems unfair that the, the superstars get to do whatever they want and everyone else has to be victims of the, the basketball machinery or the, the teams deciding, okay, you're going to sit because we're going to trade your, your contract, you know? Yeah, I hear you. And like, it's, it's definitely, it, it's definitely, definitely one of those things that when looking at it, like someone like Osman for the Cavs who doesn't have the power that the other guys have. You can look at it. You can say like, Oh, well that's like unfair to a certain degree and whatnot. 
But I, I want to push back a little bit on the idea that like player empowerment is asking for contracts to be worthless. Like having them there is still important. Like you said, like having that pay scale gradation so that Steph doesn't earn 100 of his team's $108 million dollar value and whatnot is that there is, they are like instituting like economic standards for these teams and for these players in certain ways. Like having those contracts, that form of contracts is important. It's what allows the sport to be a sport and not a pickup game that happens every year. You know, and so I, I think yeah. you're absolutely right. I think you're totally hitting on something super important here. But I also don't think that that it like it's, that's a jump that needs to be made from the what the player empowerment era is asking. I think what Draymond is asking for is for James Harden to be able to request a trade and to have the teams be able to uh, sit on Dre Drummond. I think he's asking for both of those things in conjunction, right? To mm. the point where like James Harden doesn't have to dog it and go to strip clubs and disrespect his teams in order to get out of there, you know, to get to a point yeah. where it can get down to a little bit more of a conversation between Harden and Fertitta and Harden and whoever their GM is right now, whose name I'm forgetting, right? To have that be like a Kobe thing that can happen. And have the Drummond thing be a thing that can happen. And what upset Draymond was not that one side gets to do it and other side, like, can't do it. It's like, like one side, like the, the teams can do that and should do that because it fits into the economy of the league that you're discussing. But players should also be able to do that within that same structure. I think that's what he's asking for. And it avoids the embarrassment and the mental strife that, a guy like James Harden like has to do has to give go through every day, you know. And I bet there's there's people on Twitter who just tear him apart every time he posts something, you know. And I think Draymond wants to try yeah. to. There, there's no way to flip a switch and make it better, like you said, but I think we've got to start having that discourse where we can say that things are better. I think we've oh, got to start so, getting getting to having that conversation where Draymond doesn't have to give an angry three minute press conference to get people to say to respect James Harden, but that we can we can respect James Harden and his business decisions and respect the Cavs for sitting Andre Drummond. Yeah, and so I I mean I guess so I have I have two thoughts about that right. So if if it's if we're going to say, you know, both sides are going to be able to operate in the most ruthless fashion that they, they want, you know, to me that in the, the James Harden situation, that, that question becomes, okay, he made a trade request. They did not have to, you know, by, because they still had his contract, they did not have to trade him. It was a trade request. Right. Right. And so if I guess to me like that, that is, you know, if everyone was being respectful, like that's the end of it, right? So, and so I guess, you know, the the issue comes was like, they, he said, please trade me. And they said, no. And then he went and, you know, forced the trade by, by dogging it. Right. And so to me, like, that is how the system is supposed to work until that last step. Right. It's like, you know, and so I, I don't know if that's, are you, I guess you're arguing, right? That like, 
if the players should be allowed to like request trades, are you also saying that they should be granted trades? You know, that's a, that's a great question and an important clarification. And I, I do want to say quickly that like, I don't condone James Harden being a horrible teammate and flaunting his power in front of the, that, that. That's, that's not a way of going about things. It's not a professional way of going about things, you know? So like, I would love for James Harden to have not done that. You know, I don't think that requesting trades and granting trades is something that uh, should happen. Like James Harden can't say, trade me for this contract and these picks and I'm going to that team. You know, like that's not that that's not how it works. That goes against the economy of the league that we're talking about. So I don't think that that should happen. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, I guess then that to me, then it's like, I don't know how to fix this. Right. Because if, if, you know, the, the situation you, you suggested earlier, right. is like, okay, teams should be able to operate within the bounds of, of the league and players should be able to have, you know, the ability to request trades and not get backlash for it. Sure. Sure. But, but then how do we, how do we decide who wins in that situation? Right. Like without, without resorting to someone flaunting their power or, or also getting called names, right? It's like, I don't, I don't see a way for that to happen unless we change the nature of the league and, and the nature of the contract in, in general. Yeah, uh, that, that's a great point. And like, your brain keep going back to the contracts and keep going back to like the league economy and making sure that works is like a really important way to ground this conversation. You know, like we can't have this conversation and talk about ideals and ideas without what you're presenting, right? Without you grounding us in the reality of, hey, the league has to work this way. And you're right that there, there's no there's no snap of the fingers fix. But I, I, I don't think the center of the conversation should be who wins the trade requests versus deciding not to trade someone. I don't I don't think that should should be what the what the public takes away from this. I think mm-hmm. that it is so complicated because the NBA monopolizes things in, in the highest level of basketball in the world. And so I, I, I think what, what it comes down to is, is the double standard that Draymond was talking about, you know, that like, it, like the whole system perpetuates player empowerment as a bad thing and teams running business as a good thing. So where does that system yeah. come from? It comes from the league. It comes from the owners, right? Yeah. So if we, if we get to see a little bit more of a show of faith from ownership, if we get to see a little bit more of them working towards meeting their product or their people in the middle, you know, I, th- I think that's where, where we can get going. And who knows what the solution ends up being? You know, there's probably smarter guys than you or I talking about it in the league offices right now, yeah. you know, in the players totally. union right now. And so I think if that conversation starts and Draymond started it last night in a big way, like I think if we start talking about player empowerment in a powerful, meaningful way and like not empowering the players as products, but empowering them as people, I think we can then move towards a better place. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like, I I don't disagree with any of that. Right. Like, I think that's, that's the, the the sentiment that i i would hope for you know for me it's it's more of a question of like how do we how do we get there because i 
like I, I hear what Draymond's saying and I agree with what he's saying. And I think, you know, he's, he's, he's not wrong in what he's observing. Right. And like everything you're talking about is like, it's not wrong. I just, I, because it's, to me, it's a zero sum game because it's monopoly, right? Like there is, you know, any, anything that benefits players in some point, like it, it limits the ability of teams to operate in the way that they have before, you know? Um, and I'm not meaning to suggest that like the partnership between the league and, and the talent is a zero something, right? Like, I think it, it benefits everyone and it, it, it is a positive, but I think a, a change in, in that balance, you know, I think it does end up, it ends up, you know, coming from somewhere, right? Like, okay. So LeBron deciding to go wherever he wants as a free agent it did it, it changed things but it, it actually didn't alter you know the fundamentals of the league like that's the, the event that kicked off player empowerment right it was him as as a free agent totally within his rights and within you know his agency saying i want to go play for this team and there was backlash and that was not okay like that was wrong because he was just he was he was using you know everything he built up with the, the work that he put in and, and the talent and player that he is and he was taking that to the best situation for him. And I think that was phenomenal. And I think that was, that was exciting. I think to me, the question of, you know, like when we bring this all back to like Bradley Beal, right. It's that's when it's, it's something that to me, it goes beyond player empowerment, right. It's, 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 a uh, it's starting to like question, you know, like what the whole experiment is all for right is it about getting the best players to have the most success is it about producing the best you know I, I don't even know the answer to this question that i'm asking but i think that's what it, it begs for me right it's like what is the point of all this and what are we trying to maximize for you know totally and you ask a great question in part because it's unanswerable you know like be, because because yeah. there's yeah. there's no answer to that like what what do we do thing uh it makes it why we can sit here and and talk about it for an hour, you know, and why yeah. hopefully yeah. those smarter people than us and the players union in the league office are talking about it, you know? And so I think if there's anything that I'm going to take away from Draymond's uh, comments last night, it's that even if we don't have an answer, we can start with respect, you know? And like, Whereas like sure. you and I are two people who can sit here and talk about like respecting James Harden's rights as uh, someone who's in control of his own labor to a certain degree and whatnot, and hope for him to have acted a little bit differently. You know, I think, I think it, we just need to double down where the media and NBA Twitter and the league and the ownership and whatnot are all able to, to let these trade requests be, you know, and to not pay the players when they don't show up and have leagues be able to like penalize their players and in certain ways, teams penalize their players in certain ways, which exist, but to let there be respect in place of a double standard. That That's my takeaway. Totally. No, and I, I think, you know, coming uh, just one, I know we're trying to wrap this up a little bit, but uh, something that just, you know, sparked hearing you say that was, I think a lot of the blame of this maybe should should go to the league and the league's media partners for changing the way the sport is covered to where the biggest day of engagement 
in basketball is not the finals. It's the trade. It's a, the first day of free agency, right? Like more people consume that content and are excited about that than they are about the actual ball going in the hoop. And to me, that's, that is the, the, the problem with all of this, right? Is like, is that trade requests get more attention than, than anything else. And so, I, cause I think uh, as you were talking, the kind of uh, temporary solution, not temporary, but a, a, a part of the solution that came to my head was, you know, if all of this stuff just handled in house, if it doesn't get leaked, you know, and then those conversations are allowed to happen. It, it removes all of the public nature of all this. And that's, you know, what we talked about earlier, right? was with AD and, and all of that, you know, like if this has happened in-house, that would help a lot of things. And then I went, well, no, the whole reason they're leaked is to put pressure on the teams to do what the agents and the players want. And so it's it's just kind of a never-ending, you know, like you, you uh, whack-a-mole basically right it's like you know you think you've solved one part of it and and there's another part that comes so i i wish i had a more satisfying takeaway i I mean i I think your point about respect is great but i just i don't know i don't know what to think coming up on the next episode of the hockey assist should we criminalize adrian (laughs) wojnarowski i mean basically i mean yeah that's kind of what i'm kind of what i'm saying almost right is that if if stuff wasn't reported that way, you know, if there wasn't as much glee too in the way that it's like discussed, um, but maybe that's more human nature, right? Like we live for the drama and we live for the things that are emotional more than we live for the things that are that are strategic and, and technical and fundamental. So yeah, maybe and, my argument- And that happens my, my on the court with, too, you know, but- Yeah, yeah. And like, we could even make the argument that over the last few years in under the shadow of, Cavs Warriors inevitability, right? Like the other stuff became entertaining because it was like, oh, what's going to happen in the finals this year? Oh, well, the my prediction is that the Warriors and Cavs are going to make it out of the West and the East, and the Warriors are going to win. Like that's that's not super fun discourse. So maybe maybe there's some roots there that as NBA Twitter matured under this reign of inevitability sure. for these two teams, maybe maybe that's that's a part of it, but. Yeah, when we That's examine double standards point. like this, it really comes down to, like, you said that human nature and that control, you know, and the reason that players have to do these sort of things is because they don't have control. And while they are the product, like we've said, that inherent complication comes from the fact that they don't have control and they are uh, people. So the only thing that we can control in, in that to this point is respect, and I hope I hope that we're able to get to a to a – place uh a little bit closer to that that place of respect in in the in the coming months years totally totally i i have a million more thoughts like i could keep talking about this for another two hours um but unfortunately i i I agree with you nolan that it's time for this to uh to come to an end so apologies for for everyone out there listening that this is dragged on quite so long and then we don't think we ever came to a, a fundamental answer about you know, hashtag free Beal or, or Andre Drummond or James Harden. That being said, thank you all so much for tuning in. This has been a invigorating discussion on the Hockey Assist podcast. Uh, Nolan, do you have any any final thoughts you'd like to, to share besides the plug? This was good, man. And I I love the frequency that our conversations come down to economic systems and i don't think this is the first time we've even mentioned karl marx on this podcast so 
the, yeah. the historian in me loves loves going on about monopolies and products and whatnot. Being able to tie that into basketball really does reflect that bigger picture that we're looking for. Fully, fully, fully. Well, if you enjoyed this and you want more episodes, they are dropping every week on Wednesday morning. You can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As Nolan mentioned at the beginning, please do not forget to like, subscribe, and, and leave a review. And especially share, 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 um, because that's really how we, we want, you know, we want this conversation to get bigger and, and we'd love for people to, to enjoy this. So that's the, the best way to help us reach that goal. If you do have feedback uh, or you have more thoughts like the esteemed Vance Greg, please don't hesitate to reach out either by leaving a comment or hitting us up on Twitter at hockey underscore assist. We really hope you enjoy the show and we cannot wait to continue, whether it's this conversation or another conversation, to bring you more. So for Nolan Cope, I'm Riley Gaucher, checking out episode nine of the Hockey Assistant. I hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you.